This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Hey, today is Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to be looking in God's Word in the second chapter of Acts where the birth of the church is recorded. And I've asked Susie if she would read for us the scripture this morning. So, Susie, if you would. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language." Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Let me ask a question. How many of you are bilingual? That is, you speak two languages. Or maybe you're trilingual if you're, you know, if you want to show off. Okay. Anyway, if you are bilingual, were you raised speaking English, or did you learn English as your second language? Okay. Do you know there's a federal agency called FSI, the Foreign Service Institute, and what it does is it trains diplomats to operate in other countries. And uh, the folks at FSI provide advanced language training in over 65 languages. And a few years ago, they ranked all the major languages according to how difficult they are to learn. And what do you think they discovered? They found that the easiest language for English-speaking people to learn are Swedish, Spanish, and French. Can you guess what the more difficult languages were? How about Arabic, Chinese, and Japanese? Uh, Of course, there are some of us who speak only English who still have a difficult time getting that one right. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we'll talk more in a minute about how God used language to help birth the church. But first, let me say, regarding our scripture reading, that when the Holy Spirit descended on the church on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, It was an act initiated by God, not by any human being. It was not something conjured up by the disciples. What I'm saying is this. The church was God's idea. For you see, 
Beginning when Jesus first selected the 12 disciples and then continuing through his ministry, continuing through his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, long before anyone was ever baptized or the Lord's Supper was served or the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, long before that, the church was already in the mind of God. I mean, let's consider the scene at the church's birth. Notice that all the disciples, it said in the scripture there, were gathered all together in one place. Now, this was no constitutional convention. No one turned to Simon Peter and said, Pete, you call the meeting to order. And then after Matt does the invocation, we'll get on with the business of starting this new organization called the church. Nothing like that occurred. The scripture tells us simply, that as they were gathered in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's how the church was born. Not from below, no, it was born from above. And when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, as we are today, we must remember that we are celebrating the birthday of the church, which God established. Amen? You with me? Okay. And if we hope to understand the miracle of the church's birth, and if we are to receive and experience the blessings of Pentecost in our church, in our community, it's imperative that we know, number one, what actually happened on that sacred day, and number two, what the blessings of Pentecost are. Will you stand with me again right now? Let me pray before we continue. Lord, I believe you have given me a message for today. And I pray that you will open the hearts and minds of all who are hearing me. And that you will anoint my lips as I speak. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, I want to share four blessings we see at Pentecost. And the first one is a shared passion. As Susie read earlier, our text begins like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, by the way, the they, the they in this verse refers to about 120 people, all followers of Jesus, both men and women who were waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised them before he ascended into heaven. But that's not, however, what I want to focus on right now. Instead, I want to focus on the last part of that verse. They were all with one accord in one place. Incidentally, the actual Greek word used here is a compound word. It's uh, two separate words, actually, that are mashed together to create a new concept. Uh, it's a difficult word to pronounce. Homothumadon. I warned you it was difficult. Anyway, this word 
is used only 12 times in the entire Bible. And 10 of those 12 times, it's used in the book of Acts. The two words separately mean to rush along and in unison. To rush along in unison. Sounds like a good word to apply to a close-knit sports team, doesn't it? Or, or maybe to a professional orchestra. But in the book of Acts, it refers to a group of people who have one mind, one passion. That's a powerful concept, isn't it? A group of people rushing along in unison, operating with one mind, one passion. And I think this becomes even more impressive when we realize that the people in the second chapter of Acts lived in a place and time when to declare Jesus Christ as Lord could get them persecuted, even get them killed. Hey, what if we, in our society, in our culture, what if we developed that same shared passion to honor and live like Jesus? No matter what the sacrifices might be. What, what do you think we could accomplish if we became a group of people with one mind, one passion, one main focus? Just, just imagine the possibilities. When I think of the power of a shared passion, I'm reminded of a missionary to the Philippines, uh, I think he was there from like 1915 to the late 50s. His name was Frank Laubach. And most of us probably don't remember Frank Laubach's name, and that's kind of a shame because he was a great Christian. And the situation was that in the remote Philippine communities where Frank served, there were very few people who could read or write. And so Frank developed a simple literacy method which used charts linking pictures with words and syllables. And his instructional method was so effective that it was soon adapted into a worldwide system for teaching literacy. But then Frank's mission funding was reduced and he couldn't hire and train enough people, enough teachers to meet the needs of his community. And when he was mentioning this to a local community leader, this problem, the man suggested that Frank encouraged every new believer to teach someone else. And so he did. And they, they adopted the slogan, each one teach one. And they encouraged new learners to pass on their skills to the others in the community. And by the way, it didn't take much encouragement because these new learners were so overjoyed and empowered by their newly acquired ability to read and write in their own language that they were passionate about sharing the gift of literacy with their friends and neighbors. See, this is the shared passion that I'm talking about this morning. And, and get this, since its beginning in the 1930s, Frank Laubach's Each One, Teach One system has been used to reach, excuse me, to teach, more accurate, to teach 60 million people around the world to read in their own language. And by the way, an interesting side note is Frank Laubach is the only missionary 
in the United States to ever have a postage stamp honored in his name. So what was it that inspired Frank, inspired Frank's passion for missions? Well, I think we might be able to find the answer in something he wrote. He said, every person we ever meet is God's responsibility. Think about that. Every person we ever meet is God's opportunity. Did I say opportunity first? Well, I said it wrong, and now I corrected it. Thank you. Okay, let's get back to our Bible passage, since I'm screwing up everything else. Thank you. (laughs) He said I was doing all right. I like that. I like that guy. He's my favorite guy in the whole room right now. (laughs) Don't push it, man. (laughs) As the believers, let's get back to the passage. As the believers were joined together with one mind, one passion, waiting for Jesus' promise to be fulfilled, the Holy Spirit came from heaven with the sound of a violent wind, the appearance of tongues of flame resting over their heads. And the Holy Spirit filled the believers with the ability to speak in multiple languages, but with just one message. Verse 11 says, they were speaking the wonderful works of God. Hey, this was one of the most wonderful, the most exciting moments in the history of the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit had fallen fresh on the lives of believers. They were shouting for joy from all directions. People were filled with the passion and fire of the Holy Spirit. They were gathered from every persuasion, every city, every nation, every province, all glorifying God, speaking in other tongues, but understanding each other. Expressing different voices but still in one accord. And this was when God poured out the Spirit, which gave birth to the Christian church. Okay, so the first blessing of Pentecost was a shared passion, and that shared passion produced the second blessing of Pentecost, which was an outbreak of praise. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. You see, this is what happens, by the way, when Holy Spirit of God fills individuals and fills churches. We become passionate about declaring the wonders of God. You may recall that in the book of Revelation, John is given a vision of what heaven will actually look like. And in chapter 7, he says this. He says, He sees a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And do you know what the great multitude is doing? Singing praises for their salvation through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So we can see that 
what happened at Pentecost was kind of a preview of this explosion of praise that naturally flows from God's people. And this should describe our worship. Every time Jesus' followers get together to worship or pray or sing or learn the Bible or do mission projects or hear a message from God's Word, every time there should be an outbreak of praise. Amen? Think about your last few conversations here at church. Did they revolve around politics, work issues, family issues, sports? Or did they revolve around the declaring of the wonderful works of God in your life? I can assure you, friends, that if you don't look for God in your everyday walking around life, if you don't praise God in your spirit, you will not think to do it when you're around other believers. And if you don't talk about the wonders of God with fellow believers, it's highly Unlikely you will ever do it with unbelievers. You are remembering, aren't you, that our assignment as the body of Christ is to be his hands and his voice on the earth? Listen, if we ever hope, ever hope to experience the true transforming power that God gave the church on the day of Pentecost, we're going to need to regain the fervor, regain the drive, regain the unity, the passion, and the spirit of Pentecost. Sadly, some churches are like... They're more like a mausoleum for the dead than a coliseum of praise for the living God. I'm aware of so many churches that are dry and stale, whose congregations seem to be in some kind of stupor, where the worship services are dull and boring, where the preaching is bland and flat, where the singing is tired and lacks the vitality which speaks of a risen Lord, where if anyone happens to tap his foot and say amen, he's immediately stared into silence. And if anyone dares to shout, thank you, Jesus, or help me, Lord, the ushers call EMS or 911. And this is the result in churches, listen, that have lost the spirit of Pentecost. They've lost their joy 
for Jesus. And you say, well, pastor, okay, well, what is, just what is this Pentecostal spirit, and how do we get it? Well, church, the Pentecostal spirit is available when people are fully open. Say fully open. Fully open to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason everyone was able to glorify God on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts was because everyone was fully open. Say fully open. Fully open to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For you see, friends, the more we are open to the Spirit's outpouring, meaning the more we surrender personal control of ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the more we do that, the greater will be our power to live righteously. The greater will be our power to share Christ effectively. The greater will be our capacity to rightly interpret matters of the Spirit. See, all of these things are available to us as we are fully open, say fully open, fully open to receive. Okay. And the Spirit, let me tell you something else the Spirit of Pentecost does. And it's huge. The Spirit of Pentecost also brings unity amid diversity. Everybody say unity. What a beautiful word. Although the believers were from many nations with many different tongues, the Holy Spirit united them into one body of believers. How? How did he do it? By, listen, by forging a common language of faith and belief. We're told that the people spoke with so much passion, so much power, so much enthusiasm that observers thought they were drunk on wine. Okay, now so far we've learned that the first blessing is a shared passion. The second blessing is an outbreak of praise. And now the third blessing of Pentecost is a call to prophesy. Look what Peter says in verses 17 and 18 when he quotes the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Notice it says, all people, everybody, and they will prophesy. Now, God isn't just talking about those 120 believers that were there on the day of Pentecost. God's talking about a day when every believer will prophesy in God's name. He's talking about you and me. And don't let the word prophecy scare you. Let me, 
I don't know if I can say in one sentence I can cut through all the garbage that's been put on this. But listen, prophets, people that prophesy, prophets are simply, listen to this word, truth tellers. No, that's it. Don't get weird. Don't get all spooky on me. It's just telling the truth. That's what it is. They are chosen by God to share the message of God. A message of warning. A message of hope. But every prophet's message is essentially the glorious and grace-filled message in verse 21 of our Bible passage today. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message that you and I need to share with our family and with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and random strangers and everyone. Share it with your words. Share it with your actions. Share it with your life. Listen, church, God did not pour out the Holy Spirit so we would keep God's glory and power and love and truth inside these four walls. There was a man of God who once said, there's little good in filling churches with people who go out exactly the same as they came in. The call of the church is not to fill churches, but to fill heaven. I like that. The call of the church is not to fill churches, it's to fill heaven. You and I are called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be prophets. We are called to share the truth of God and the salvation through Jesus Christ with who? Everyone. Remember Frank Laubach's quote? Every person we ever meet is God's opportunity. So tell me, what God opportunities are right in front of you? You sometimes hear me talk about, use the phrase, personal life message. And when I use that, see, each of us has the assignment. Each of us has the assignment to communicate the truth of God's love to everyone we meet. And since we are all unique individuals, there's nobody like you, nobody like me. Since we're all unique, our methods may differ. But our assignment is the same. The assignment is to tell the world that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. To tell them that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how is your life communicating Jesus to the world? What is your method Those of you who are sports fans undoubtedly have noticed those big scripture signs 
at significant sporting events, you know, like the Super Bowl or Monday Night Football, baseball, golf tournaments, the Olympics, Indy 500, you know, these big, these big uh, scripture signs. In bold letters we read, John 3.16 or 2 Corinthians 5.17, Romans 5.8. You know, they pop up on bed sheets hanging from the upper deck or they pop up behind home plate or over golfer's head as they putt, or even on posters beside the runway at the Miss America pageant. Well, listen, those signs are the work of a man named Rockin' Rollin' Stewart. Stewart and his wife, Margaret, and a friend, William King, they live a modest lifestyle in a Toyota van, driving 55,000 miles a year, speaking to any religious group who will invite them. They receive love offerings in order to buy tickets from scalpers. And then with a handheld television, they're looking at a television, they get in line with the right camera angle. <laughs> and put their sign up. Rollins said in a recent People Magazine article, we are evangelists who want to get everyone to read the book, and we reach millions. You see, this Rollins Stewart, he remembers a time when he was addicted to alcohol and drugs. He remembers when those had him by the throat and were choking the life out of him. His life fell completely apart. And then one Sunday morning, he was watching a church worship service on TV. And he said, I saw immediately how I could take the word of God to the world. And I fell to my knees and allowed Jesus to take control of my life. And ever since that time, <laughs> He's been spreading the gospel free of commercial cost through every TV camera he can. Now, I realize that Rock and Rollins' method of communicating the good news is probably not the same as yours or mine. But man, he's found a method of fulfilling God's assignment to tell the world about Jesus. And I can't help but be genuinely inspired by his innovation and his determination. So let's review. Number one, the church is God's creation, which resulted in a shared passion. Number two, the shared passion produced an explosion of praise. And three, a desire to prophesy a desire to communicate to the world the wonderful news of God's love. However, the ultimate goal is, number four, the creation of a new community. And here's my evidence for saying that this is the ultimate goal of the church. First of all, as we have noted, people from many different nations were present on this occasion. Each one heard the gospel 
in his own tongue. Uh, by the way, the good news is not restricted to a particular nation. It's not restricted to a particular race or a particular class. The gospel cuts across every dividing line in society. And my second piece of evidence for this being the ultimate goal, notice the biblical description of the early church following this Pentecost experience. Right there in Acts chapter 2, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church is the body of Christ functioning as a community. The church is the body of Christ functioning as a community. And I submit that the Christian faith is a communal faith. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Now, what I'm saying is this, friends. The purpose of the Pentecost event was more than simply saving individual souls. Pentecost was also the creation of a new community, a community of faith and hope and love. That community was and that community is the church. And I'm not exaggerating even a little bit when I say that our future will be determined by how well we live up to the standard that was set by the early church. Now, I don't particularly want people who drive by our church this morning to think we're intoxicated. But I would like for them to see the joy on our faces and hear passion in our voices when we sing. And when we talk about Jesus, I'd like for them to notice that although we are all different, we are all unified in our passion for Christ. I would like for them to also see how much we love one another. You say, that's hard. Yeah. You say, have you seen the guy that sits at the other end of my row? Yeah. Look, <laughs> I've, I've said this many times before, and I'll just say it again. It's not about liking people. If your goal is to like everybody, you're going to fail miserably because there are people you just don't like. 
And you can work on it for the rest of your life, and you still won't like them. Oh, you can act like you like them. You can say you like them. You can do all kinds, but you won't like them. There's too much stuff that goes into what people you like or don't like. There's t- it starts when you're a little kid, probably. Who knows? I don't know why I don't like you. I just don't. I don't know what you remind me of, but I don't like it. Whatever it is, I don't like it. I don't like you. Okay. You say, well, that's not a very Christian way to be. No, it is too. It's an honest way to be, which is what Christianity is. It's honest. I don't like you. Okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, does God tell, Jesus tell, anybody in the Bible say, we're supposed to like everybody. It just doesn't say it because it's not possible. It's, it's a, a fool's errand to try to do that. But what are we told to do? Love everybody. That's different. Love is different than like. And you can, you can choose who you love, even though you can't choose who you like. I know you can, because Jesus commanded it. He wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do, would he? Of course we can. So what is love? It's it's when you do that thing I don't like, and I overlook it. And continue relationship with you anyway. That's love. When you get married, it's really smart if you find somebody you like. And we all laugh and everything, but I'm going to tell you something. That's way more important than finding somebody you love. It just is. You can fall in love with somebody you don't like. You know, you have those feelings, that's what we call love. (laughs) I know what those feelings are. I used to be a man back before I got married. (laughs) So so I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) there's a place where... Listen, I, my, my wife, Debbie, is, is awesome. She's down with the children right now, so I can talk about her. Um, she is awesome. I mean, there's nobody. She's the greatest gift outside of my salvation that, that I have. The greatest treasure is her love for me, undeserved. But there's sometimes <laughs> that she does stuff. It's just... You know, and it's not, I, 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 I've overlooked it before, but she keeps doing it. <laughs> and she does it again. And I've told her, I hate that. Don't do that. I don't like that. Remember how I reacted that last time? I, I've asked you to forgive me for that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to act that way. But you can fix it to where that doesn't happen anymore. Just don't do that. <laughs> and she, she does. It's, it's the most amazing thing. And so she does this thing, whatever it is, that I don't like. And so I just boot her right out of the house and say, that's the end of us. No, 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 no. I say, hey, I am going to choose to overlook that thing that you keep on doing (laughs) and continue to love you. I can do it with my wife. I can do it with my enemy. Jesus said you can do it with your enemy, the one who's trying to hurt you. 
trying to take advantage of you. You can, do, you can choose to love. You say, well, I don't know how to start doing loving things towards that person. You'd be amazed as you do loving things how your feelings for them will change. But even if they don't, you still are commanded to love them. Overlook. Love. Amen? Love them. Overlook the thing and love them. So I would like for them, the world, to see that in our church instead of people upset with each other, not talking to each other. I, I, and, I, and I've said all this stuff I want the world to see when they drive by our church. The, the main thing I'd like for them to know is the good news, to know that everyone, say everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May it be so to the glory of God. Now we can preach sermons and talk like this and like we do every Sunday. It doesn't matter if you learn what I'm saying. Do you know that? This is not an educational program. This is a place where you come to hear God say something to you through somebody. And you may not like me. I, I, that seems absurd, but maybe. <laughs> but like Regina says, but I love you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> She's got it. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, God is speaking to you. Through me, when I preach it, when, when anybody stands in this pulpit and preach, God is speaking to you, you need to listen for God and not just hear him, but do what he says. This is not an educational platform here to teach you stuff. We've, we've fallen into a trap in Christianity. We think it's educational, and it isn't. That's not it. In fact, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up a man. You start knowing so much stuff, and pretty soon you think you're a big deal. We just need to know him. I just want to know him. I don't understand all the stuff. I don't get it. He asked me to do some stuff sometimes that I would never do on my own. But I don't care. I just do what he says. That's So in this right now, what we heard today, we need to make a determination that we are going to start Thinking about God in our lives, in our heads. We are here on the earth so we can think about the things of God. When you wake up in the morning, do you think to say, God, thank you? As you open your eyes and look at the, the room around you and say, God, thank you for this covering, for this home. Thank you. Do you do that? Think about that. The advantages you have. You say, yeah, I can say this. They gave me some, some kind of hormone therapy when I took me through that cancer treatment. Taking away a lot of my energy. I go, out to, I go out to mow the yard and can't mow the whole yard. What kind of a deal is that? I could mow three or four yards, and not even breathe hard. And now, all of a sudden, 
I can't get my own yard done. It's the size of a postage stamp. There's nothing to it. But instead of me whining about that, praise God, I still have some energy left. Let's talk about it. When we get together in church, talk about what God... Do you see God in your everyday life? Do you look for Him? That situation. We talk about the fact that God does not know the decisions we're going to make before we make them. He doesn't know that. But He does know and set up divine appointments all around us all the time. And we walk into it and then He's counting on us. He's trying to have faith in us that we will... We're supposed to tell the people about Jesus. We're his voice. We're his hands. We're his feet. And so when those things happen, you need to get together in church the next time and see somebody and say, hey, hey, in fact, Jeff Oaks called me this week. Interrupted my day. <laughs> no, no, no he, he called me. Phone rang, saw it was Jeff. And I said, hey, what's up? He said, hey, I just wanted to call you and tell you that I was out in... He's got a ranch, you know, got animals and stuff. <laughs> no, he's got, he got stuff. And he says, I just was doing some stuff, and I glanced up, and just for a few seconds, I saw the peace that could be in the world if we would just turn our lives over to everybody. Would It's a glimpse, and it was an encouragement to him, and he wanted to call and tell somebody about it. Yes! We need to be thinking about God all the time. Everything that happens, everybody you meet. You go to a movie, watch the movie. I can't hardly watch movies without ruining them because I want to, somebody dies in the movie and I say, that guy went to hell. I don't like that. <laughs> I feel bad about that guy. <laughs> he, he, that guy wasn't serving Christ, I can tell. And I'm grieving over this yo yahoo that's just an actor that died in the movie. So the thing is, but I'm thinking of God in my life all the time. Oh, what about that? There's people walking down the street that are lost. There's a guy that lives right across the street, a guy over here and the people over there that don't know Jesus. They're going to die. If somebody doesn't tell them and they don't get the message, they're going to die and spend eternity in hell. Not till the end of it. Not till the end. There's no end. It should drive us. We should be talking about this. It should be what we're about. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Everybody recognized the good news. We were lost going to hell, and there has been deliverance. We don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven and spend eternity with the one who loves us. That's why they got excited. Why else did they get excited? I mean, really. Well, if you think, what was it? They got to go live in the brown desert of their life. It's not pretty over there. <laughs> so I'm saying that's what it was. Do we have that passion? Because, see, I know, I know Alex Kachuri loves Jesus. He didn't even come from where I came from. But he loves Jesus. I love Jesus. We know Jesus. And we can get excited about that shared passion 
Wherever he is, he's talking about Jesus. He tells me about it at work. I had a chance to say this or I noticed this. And I go, yeah, and we need to talk about it more. We don't do it enough. John Glennon this morning, he saw somewhere that I was going to be talking about Pentecost today or maybe saw it was Pentecost Sunday something. And so he's walked in the door, walks over and grabbed me. Look at the size of that guy. Put his paws right on me. And you know what he did? He pulled me in close. I'm not much for that, you know. So I came in. I had a fist cock back here. <laughs> he pulled me in and started praying. And said, oh, Lord, speak through our pastor today. Thinking about things of God. I know it's a challenge for all of us to hear this. It's a challenge for me. But we need to do this. Amen? Yeah. Talk about it with each other. You'll then, and, but first of all, you start talking in your own head about it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then talk to somebody else. And then you'll be able to talk to lost people easily. It'll just pop right out. Come and remove this microphone from my hand before I speak the rest of the day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.